I'm going to bring up Gail Timberlake now. Um, if you didn't hear this earlier, we were very blessed to have Gail as our rabbi this morning. Um, Gail has an overwhelming resume uh, or CV. She's been all around the world, studied all around the world, um, studied with really impressive people. Um, she is an advisor to me um, and a theologian I listen to as often as I possibly can, and she's one of my good friends. So if you'd help me welcome Gail Timberlake this morning. Part of the Mutual Admiration Society. We haven't gotten a lot of new members yet, so if you'd like to join our two-person Mutual Admiration Society, we'd love that. Um, it's good to be with you here today. I love walking in those doors and seeing your affection and your attention turn toward the Lord. He knows your name and he knows you personally, and I know that he loves it when you worship. So today we are looking at a story that is somewhat in line with what's been happening here at New Heights. Um, The theme for this summer has been looking at children's stories or stories from the Bible, and so we are looking at another story today, and it's the one about the spies in the land. So if you like intrigue and covert operations, then this is the story for you today. I want to give you a little bit of background on this story. So it starts, um, if we go back a little bit before we talk about the spies in the land, you'll remember that God's people were entrapped and enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Um, they came out um, after amazing plagues and uh, pestilence that happened to the Egyptian people that caused them to let the people go. And the Israelites crossed the Red Sea There was a pillar of smoke before them and a pillar of fire behind them. And when they got to the Red Sea, the Lord put the smoke and the fire behind them, signifying that he was covering their back. How many of you know that the Lord covers your back, too? It took them about 49 days after crossing the Red Sea to get to Mount Sinai. They spent 11 months there because they were on a honeymoon and accepting a wedding proposal from the Lord. The Lord romanced them, and they entered into a covenant relationship with him and learned all about who he was and all about who they were. They gained their identity there. Then it was time to set out for the desert of Paran. It took 11 days to get there, and when they arrived, they sent 12 spies from the desert of Paran to the land that God had promised his people to check it out. They stayed up there 40 days, and then they returned, and they gave a report of what they had seen. It's interesting that on the calendar that's observed by people of the book, some of us who are Christians, many of whom are Jews, this day is recognized every year as the ninth day of the month of Av. Av is one of the months that was in the calendar when Jesus and the earliest church was around. So that was a familiar word to us, an unfamiliar familiar word to them, and an unfamiliar word to us. So on that day, it's recognized as the time when the spies returned after 40 days. And every year, the people of the book remember this day. And it happens to fall next Sunday, so it's kind of apropos that we're talking about it today. So I want to read some of the story of what happens when the people, um, when the spies return. So they've gone into the land that God has promised to them. They've returned after 40 days, and this is what happens. And I'm going to read a bit to us. Oh, and I'm going to look right up there, which is so convenient. 
After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they had seen and and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the fruit of its, that it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live among the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let us go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. This land, the land we traveled through and explored, will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they had cried all night. Their voices rose with a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves, let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. So this is the report that they came back with. And notice that all 12 spies had the same report about what they saw. It was a milk flowing with uh, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. There was produce there, and the people were big. That's what they all came back to report. But there's a point at which 10 of the spies have a different report than two of them. They come to a different conclusion. And the conclusion that they come to is the 10 say, it's impossible. We, we can't do it. They're too big. It's going to overwhelm us. And the two say something different altogether. Have you ever heard of these names in scripture? Shemua, Zakur, Palti, or Sodi? Neither have I. It's because their names are only listed once. They were the ten spies that had the bad report. What do you think that might have been happening in their mind? You know, doubt and fear were the culprits for what they for the report that they gave. What do you think that they were telling themselves? Maybe something like The enemy is bigger, I give up, we can't do it, run away, I'm weak, I'm intimidated, I'm inferior. They were intimidated by a a problem and they lived in response to those things instead of in response to the charge that the Lord had given them, which was to go and check out the land that was to be theirs. They lost focus on God's promise and focused on doubt and fear. One of the first of three things that I think we can gather from this story that I um, noticed when I was reading this story is that there's this characteristic among Caleb and Joshua that they focused on the promise and not the problem. Everyone else had lost the sight of the fact that 
one of the largest royal land grants that had been given to mankind was given to Abraham and his seed through Isaac and Jacob. And with the everlasting covenant that's mentioned eight times in Genesis and Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture. And basically recapped in Genesis 15:18, it says, To your descendants I give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Later, he says to Joshua, your territory will extend to the desert, to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. Joshua and Caleb did not lose sight of that promise. They kept their eyes on the promise. They focused on the promise and not the problem. What do you think they were saying to themselves? What was replaying in their mind? What words were they rehearsing in their mind? Maybe something like, God is bigger than anything we're facing. Maybe something like, I know that God will make a way. I'm sure the things that they were rehearsing in their mind were probably polar opposites from what the ten spies were saying. The second characteristics I'd like to propose that was beneficial for us as we look at this story of Joshua and Caleb is that they lived like impossible things can happen in a day. And what I mean by that is this. Okay, so first of all, let me tell you, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer right now, but I need to tell you what happened after the spies came back. So the spies came back, they gave their report, and this is what happened. The ten that gave the bad report died in a plague. The rest of the Israelites, many of them decided to take this charge and go take the land without God's blessing. And they were met by an enemy and they were destroyed. Everyone else that survived wandered for 38 years until everyone over a certain age died off and only the young ones entered into the land. The children, along with Joshua and Caleb, entered the promised land. All of that happened because of the thing that happened in one day. So... When Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report and the ten spies came back with a bad report, everything that I just said happened because of the thing that happened in one day, because of that report that they gave. And they were used to seeing impossible things. So the charge that they had to go and take that land and come back with a good report wasn't impossible for them. They'd already seen plagues in Egypt like the world had never seen. They saw a sea open up and people, about three million of them, walk through it on dry land. Their faith was full of impossibilities. They'd seen water come from a rock that was hit by a stick. And they were about to see food come from the ground and the sky that they didn't do anything to collect. Isaiah 66, 8 talks about impossible things that can happen in a day. And in 66, 8, Isaiah says this, Who has ever heard of such things that can happen in a day? Who has ever seen things like this? Can even a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth from a moment? Joshua and Caleb and the spies were part of a mission that would create a nation that God would take his people to and they would live there. It's interesting that many, many years later, in 1948, a nation was actually born in a day. The United Nations voted for Israel to become a nation. One day it was not a nation. The UN voted 
and the next day it was a nation. Isaiah had become fulfilled at that time. So the second characteristic that I'd like to propose that was beneficial, that can be beneficial for us, that we can learn from Joshua and Caleb, is that impossible things can happen in a day. That's the God they followed. They knew about impossible things. And so coming back with a report that was even seemingly ridiculous because of what they saw, but to say good things about it, that was so like them because they knew that God could make great things happen in a day. After their first service, I was talking with my friend Jeff, and we were saying how um, so often we limit the Lord in the things that, um, that he can do through us because we kind of close the door to him and say, well, that's ridiculous. You know, if we feel the Lord is maybe leading us in a particular direction, we kind of cut it off so soon sometimes because maybe it looks a little bit risky personally, financially, spiritually, I don't know, socially. And so we say no, and sometimes we don't even give the Lord a chance to say, but let me just tell you what I'm talking about. We say no so quickly. And I believe that he's inviting us into a place where we can um, engage him and not say no so quickly. I think he's bringing us to a place where we can Believe the fact that he does incredible things. He can change our lives so quickly and bring hope to the places where there wasn't hope. It's just the kind of God he is. The third characteristic I thought of when I saw this um, story is this. Um, and that is that investing in the Lord, uh, it's, it's worth investing um, in trusting the Lord. Joshua and Caleb decided to invest their worth in trusting the Lord. They decided to make that investment. They saw a future good ROI, a return on their investment. You know, to calculate a return on investment in business, you take the benefit or the return of investment and you divide it by the cost of the investment. The cost that they gave to make a good report could have been their life because what they were saying was we're going to go there anyway we're going to go into this land even though it looks scary because we trust in a god who says you can do it the things that they were saying in their mind might have sounded like this i am strong i am confident i am equipped i am more than a conqueror and i am well able they were expectant and they lived in a well-founded hope. That's the hope of the trust in the Lord. This is what good leadership looks like. They saw the same intimidating things, and they chose to focus on the promise, and they chose to trust. They remembered hearing God say that he would, they would see surpassing greatness of his favor, and they acted like that. They lived their life like that. Romans 12, 22, 12, says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That was one of my dad's favorite verses. He wrote it on his business cards, and he talked about it a lot. What does it mean to be transformed in the renewing of our mind? I think it's something that Joshua and Caleb showed us really well, how to transform our mind to be more like the truth, even when the truth doesn't look like the truth. My dad had a reason for knowing well about transforming of the mind. He was an aircraft carrier pilot, 
which meant that he landed mostly at night on a floating ship in the middle of the ocean. And he would tell this story that sometimes when they were flying, it was hard to tell um, if your plane had, if the plane had flipped because the stars in the sky twinkled on the ocean below and the waves below often looked like twinkling skies or twinkling stars in the sky. So it wasn't so hard to flip upside down and not know that you're upside down in the ocean. He said the only way that you could know is if you trusted and you looked at your instrument panel because your instrument panel told the truth no matter what. It would tell you that you were which way you were, if you were upside down or right side up, even if your gut instinct told you something different. So he would tell this story of once when he was sure that his gut instinct was right, and his gut instinct told him that he was right side up. But his instrument panel told him that he was upside down. And he had to choose where to put his trust And so he looked at the instrument panel, he trusted the instrument panel, and he landed in the middle of the night on this moving aircraft carrier uh, where the nose of the plane was caught by a giant rubber band, and he landed safely. It takes a lot of transforming of the mind to believe and trust, even when everything tells you inside, don't trust that thing. But I believe that one of the properties of the Lord is that he tells us about this internal reality that should actually affect our external reality. With Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same thing that the other guys saw, right? And yet they chose to believe the things they knew about God and speak those things to the reality that they saw externally. In other words, they stood firm in the fact that they knew the Lord, that the Lord had given them this promise of this land, and that they were to go out and take it. And it was theirs. So despite the fact that none of the reality, none of the circumstances looked like that was truly possible, they trusted their instrument panel. They trusted the Lord. James says, don't be tossed to and fro by the waves. Don't be tossed to and fro by the wind or the waves. So I think there's an amazing lesson that we can learn from Joshua and Caleb about standing firm in who we are in the Lord and actually having that affect our external realities instead of the other way around. So we talked about what the spies might have been telling themselves internally. We talked about what Joshua and Caleb might have been telling themselves internally. I wonder what you're telling yourself internally sometimes. I wonder what I'm telling myself. Sometimes I totally need a brain detox. You know, God's looking for a shift in thinking for us. He does incredible things in a day. He stopped the sun for Joshua. He parted the sea for Moses. And I've come to realize that if I can change my focus from worry and fear and doubt, that faith has a possibility of rising up. We are to live this life in hope and expectancy because that's who we are. That's our identity in the Lord. Joshua and Caleb knew how to focus on the promise and not the problem. They also knew how to know and believe and experience and trust in the fact that impossible things could happen in a day. And then the last characteristic that I think is so important for us to learn that I've mentioned is that they invested in trusting the Lord. 
I want to propose to you that Joshua and Caleb knew well the value of trusting in God, and they invested their lives, and they believed it. There's a verse in Isaiah, and it says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. When you have hope, you know that yesterday's miracles and experiences can inform you and be a lens through which you see the next miracles. And I think that they knew that well. I think they looked back at the past things that the Lord had taken them through and the miracles that he had shown them, and he looked at the next, they looked at the next impossible thing through those lenses. I want to teach you a Hebrew word right now. It's called hine. I'm going to say it one more time, and then I want you to say it. Hine. Great. Hine means here I am. And it's the word that a lot of people in Scripture use when the Lord presents something to them. They say, when the Lord presents something to them or gives them a challenge or an opportunity, they say back to him, like Moses did, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they say, Hine. That's their response. In other words, they're saying, Yes, Lord, here am I. Here I am. And I'm in full agreement with what you say. As I looked at these stories and I thought about these three things, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm so f- in full agreement with these things to be able to focus on the promise and not the problem. To live like impossible things can happen in a day and to invest in trusting the Lord. Those are things that I want to say he nay to. All of those things, and the, especially the trust in the Lord, brings hope. And the person with the most hope has the most influence in this life. If we live in hope, this is our finest hour. The things that the Lord asks us to do, we can do. Because we're not afraid of the circumstances, we can just go forward and do them. We are to pray for voices of hopeful intelligence in our communities, I believe. To pray for voices that speak out of that same hope. Because nothing's impossible with the Lord. So what happens to Caleb and to Joshua? They take the people that were in Israel through the promised land, uh, through the desert for those 40 years, and then they enter the promised land with them. That thing that they had known that they were to do all of their lives, it happened, and they took them in. They knew the value of trusting the Lord. I'm wondering where we might stand, where you might stand um, with agreeing with the Lord with those things. And if you, if those are things that you feel like you might agree with the Lord on, being able to trust him in those ways, uh, I wonder if you might stand. Can you stand? If you would like to trust in the Lord in those three areas today, just those three areas, that you would choose to focus on the promise and not the problem that you would make that stand today, that you would choose to live like impossible things that the Lord has done throughout history, that he can do in a day, that he can do for you. And if you choose to invest in trusting the Lord, um, to those things, 
I say hine, and I wonder if you might too. So if you'd like, you can repeat after me. Hine. May the Lord go with you. So, Lord, we bless you and we praise you for the ways in which you give us strength, the ways in which you can call us to say, here I am in the midst of our own circumstances. Lord, I pray for the circumstances in this room right now that you would go before. And, Lord, give us um, the authority, the strength, and the courage to be able to stand in uh, your goodness, and to know that you are a good God, that you cover us in so many ways, just like the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that went behind your people as they cross the sea. We trust you to cover our back as well. Amen. Amen. If you'll remain standing, we'll respond to what the Lord has spoken over us this morning.
pray together. Father, we recognize that you call us as sons and daughters to be people of light, people of love, people that will say, here am I, Lord. We pray that as we go from this place, the truth of what you have declared will stay over us and in us by the power of your Spirit and for the glory of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. May we go here, go from here as people of light and love. People who say, here I am, here I am, Lord. Go in peace.